Good day, you're tuned into Free City Radio. This is the 72nd edition, and I'm your host in Montreal, Stefan Christophe. On the program today, we're going to be hearing from a historian uh, and writer, David Hewson, who is based right now in Berlin and has taught in various places, uh, including the University of York, and is working with the North American Studies Institute at the Free University in Berlin right now. Uh, David's book, Progressive Inequality, I think, really points to some uh, issues around the ways that structural inequality and economic injustice in the United States has taken place over time and was a result of state and corporate policy. Importantly, I think that David's work uh, points to the contemporary moment and looks at the question of this era in relation to other eras historically. Are we in a new gilded age is a question that David has been asked recently. Um, he was featured on a documentary that was put together uh, through Vice. And beyond just looking at the American context, is looking at the world global context around inequality and the ways that the pandemic has deepened structural inequality and created a context for uh, corporations to make um, in, uh, inimaginable profits, really. So looking at this from the perspective of social movements, our conversation talks about this moment, but also looks at the role of social movements, as mentioned, in the creation of labor policy, uh, both within the context of what was called the New Deal in the, in the United States. I think often those moments in history, similar to the creation of public health care in Canada, is sort of projected as something that was uh, given by the state, as opposed to something that was won by social movements. And I think that uh, David's work really puts forward a question and uh, asks us to reconsider the ways that uh, social movements have, in fact, shaped such policies. So here's uh, the conversation with David in Berlin, uh, here on Free City Radio, and uh, I'll leave it at that. I'm joined by David Hewson, uh, who is um, a commentator on a number of uh, social political issues regarding the United States. I first... Um, heard about his work uh, within a short documentary that was put out concerning the idea that we are currently in a new gilded age um, in terms of wealth inequalities, not just in the United States, but there's obviously similar trends globally. Uh, and David's being generous to take some time to speak with us today from Berlin. Um, so thank you so much, David. And maybe just if you could locate yourself um, and just give us a bit of an introduction of where you're at and, and how that relates to the research that you're doing. Sure. Thanks. Thanks so much for, for having me, Stefan. Um, uh, I'm a senior lecturer in modern history at the University of York in the UK. Um, and right now I'm uh, on a leave and serving as a visiting scholar at the JFK Institute for North American Studies at the Free University in Berlin. Um, and I, I really got into the subject of kind of the question of a new Gilded Age or a second Gilded Age um, uh, through my first book, which was the revision of my doctoral dissertation. Um, uh, that book was published in 2014. It's called Progressive Inequality. 
Um, and my current research actually is, is pretty far afield from this stuff, but it's a, it's a topic that as a sort of nominal historian of the Gilded Age and Progressive Era, I keep on getting pulled back into for, for reasons that I think will be obvious to your listeners in terms of the, the social dynamics of our, our present circumstances. So for people listening, can you maybe uh, just share briefly what was the Gilded Age and why is a contrast with the present important? Right, so uh, the Gilded Age generally refers to a period in US history between uh, the, you know, at the, at the sort of outside bookends, the end of the Civil War or the end of Reconstruction, uh, sort of 1865 or 1877. And, uh, you know, some people put an end date on the Gilded Age uh, in anywhere from 1896 to 1919. Some even like to talk about a long Gilded Age that goes until 1929. Um, uh, but then you run into sort of arguments about the periodization of the progressive era. But basically the Gilded Age is a period that is widely known as a period of extraordinary wealth inequality, um, sort of corporate consolidation, uh, corporate control of politics and um, you know, incredible poverty and uh, difficulty for uh, sort of masses of, of working ordinary working class residents in the United States, both Americans and immigrants. Um, uh, and those are sort of the defining terms of, of what the Gilded Age means to most people. So and sorry, I'll, the second part of that question was, yeah. was about why we're in a new one. And, and here, I feel like it's worth taking a step back and pointing out that the second Gilded Age is an idea. Um, there's a historical analytical perspective to that on the one hand, right? This idea that somehow our, our current reality reflects the historical dynamics of the first Gilded Age, which I think has been usefully criticized in all sorts of different ways, which we can get into later. And then there's a, a sort of um, act of political rhetoric in calling what we're going through right now a second Gilded Age, which is really focused on the question of inequality and the piling up of great fortunes um, and the sort of ruthless business practices of the, the new monopolists um, like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and these sorts of people um, uh, in, their, in their accumulation of, of giant fortunes and, and uh, commensurate political power. There's a persisting romanticism around, I think, some of the figures you mentioned in the contemporary context, if we're talking about Bezos or Elon Musk. I mean, obviously, there's a connection to Montreal with Elon Musk in a way, uh, personally, for a lot of us, um, it's sort of strange uh, in terms of people that have been in, involved in the art world. Um, what is that connection, if you don't mind my asking? I'm, I'm... Well, Elon Musk's partner, uh, was very active in the music community here. Um, right, right. Yeah, so it's very people, well, I won't include this, but I, you know, I, I know his Rhymes. partner. Yeah, exactly. So right. It's, it's very uh, weird because like <laughs> uh, she used to do a show at the station where this show is broadcast. Oh, okay, got it. Yeah. yeah, so I had no idea. I mean, I think of him just as a South African heir, right? Yeah, um, with a Canadian passport. Right, right. Yeah, so he is a South African heir. So in, in regards to these current figures, 
there is a romanticism around their practice and around their rhetoric, around their social media presence, mm-hmm. Bezos, um, Elon Musk, and they're sort of removed from a systemic analysis, I think, often. And right, and that's why I found uh, your discussion about the ways that perhaps the first Gilded Age is located in terms of a picture that really um, does work to show the more systemic inequalities that were taking place in the United States uh, at that time. That sort Mm -hmm. of, I think, has settled a lot more, like in terms of our common understanding. I think that in the contemporary setting, it seems, and that Mm -hmm. was really drawn to what you said in that documentary, was that there's not maybe an understanding on a level of popular culture in the way, given social media, in the ways that such figures like Bezos, um, Elon Musk, are actually very um, sort of crude symbols of a similar dynamic that although the historical realities are different from, you know, obviously from the early 1900s in the United States, there are similar sort of statistical realities in terms of wealth and inequality. So I'm just wondering, what, why, why do you think that there is sort of a, a cultural pass given to these figures? And, and in, in our contemporary uh, era, I know they're widely criticized, of course, but right. it doesn't seem that they're sort of criticized. Right, but they also embody a certain kind of hope, right? Like a certain kind of... Yes. Uh, uh, a certain kind of idea that, I mean, I think this gets to the the point that I was trying to make in distinguishing the second Gilded Age's historical analytical implications from its political rhetorical implications. I think the historical analysis is really problematic in a bunch of ways, um, not least that, uh, you know, in some ways, the, the actual first Gilded Age was better for working people uh, um, than the, the current Gilded Age, which is sort of counterintuitive, right? Um, uh, in the sense that wages were in fact increasing. Um, there were more and more regular opportunities for uh, uh, organization um, of, of political protest and uh, politically oriented groups to, to fight the structural dynamics that you're describing, or at the very least there were, um, uh, I think more, there, there was a broader culture of creativity in approaching the possibilities for building alternatives to capitalist social relations. Um, I think, you know, we've been seeing a, a sort of series of decades of stagnant wage growth um, uh, in the United States and I think worldwide as well in, in, in many places, uh, at least this sort of, uh, I mean, it looks different depending on national contexts, although I think, you know, the utility of, of looking at uh, economic life bounded by the nation state is, is sort of limited um, uh, on a certain basis, uh, uh, anyway, but in any case, I think, um, uh, then there are other ways in which, of course, the Gilded Age, the first Gilded Age was much, much worse, um, uh, in terms of the likelihood of death on the job or like, right. Workplace violence and workplace injury and death were far more common, um, statistically, uh, than they are today. Um, uh, we can get into the kinds of violence that, uh, uh, exist in our own time on a regular basis later. But I think for those figures that you're talking about, um, there is a desire, sort of unspoken, implicit desire in using the term the Second Gilded Age 
Um, when you think about figures like Andrew Carnegie or John D. Rockefeller or J.P. Morgan, the sort of titans of banking and uh, industry and finance um, uh, uh, from that period, um, and sort of this sort of imagination that somehow Bezos and Musk will be the analogs. Well, if they are the analogs, then there's this hope that the progress, some progressive era or new progressive era or new New Deal um, uh, will come along and solve the kinds of inequity that these figures represent. If we're looking at the past and comparing Bezos and Musk to the Gilded Age, then there's an implication that um, there may be another period of history that that we're about to enter. And um, we sort of skip over the question of, well, what is the work that needs to be done in order to move toward uh, some kind of period that begins redressing those inequalities, much less uh, having some kind of critical assessment of whether or not those inequalities were really redressed. Um, and I think this gets to a point that uh, my my friend um, Gabriel Winant has written about in a variety of places, uh, uh, that when people talk about the current moment as a second Gilded Age, um, they often simply excise as an anomaly or uh, a sort of decades-long exception the middle of the 20th century. Um, and so it's very difficult to actually understand how the inequalities of our own time are related to the inequalities in historical, in real historical terms, related to the inequalities of the Gilded Age and the uh, nominal solutions for those inequalities in the Gilded Age. So when people talk about introducing a new progressive era or a new New Deal, um, you know, as is sort of the rhetoric often, uh, you know, definitely in the center left, um, but even in portions of the left in US political life, uh, they're not really grappling with the, the, those invocations are not necessarily grappling with um, the, the kinds of drawbacks or shortcomings of the, the sorts of reform and um, social transformation that occurred in the progressive era and the New Deal, which in fact seeded many of the inequalities that we, we are still struggling to resolve today. So this is really uh, important, and thank you for highlighting this, David. The historical lines that exist between the Gilded Age and now, um, and throughout sort of maybe you pointed to it as maybe a period of exception um, mm -hmm. in terms of the, the New Deal and the sort of crisis of uh, the social contract um, that happened in the United States. Can you draw some, some links like tangibly between, because often historical periods are sort of seen as boxes that are mm -hmm. vacuum sealed or at least common popular narratives place it that way. And I think you were really going towards a, a really important point there about those lines. Yeah. So I, I don't want to, I don't want to overstate this. I mean, I feel like there are, there are of course valid sort of historical analytical reasons that, that people put these, that people put different names and brackets on, on historical periods. There was a great deal of social transformation, um, uh, particularly during the crisis of empire and capitalism in the, the interwar period that, that resulted in, in tremendous social transformation in the United States um, uh, and elsewhere, of course. Uh, uh, but, but I do think that often those transformations obscure longer uh, uh, continuities. 
Um, so I'll just name a few. I mean, this is a, this would be a, a definitely a non-exhaustive list. It would be a much longer conversation um, if I tried to to talk about all of them. But um, I think one of the things that an idea of of a sort of consensus politics of mid-century liberalism um, uh, gets wrong or misses is the uh, continued and constant presence of um, anti-communism and racism as uh, uh, forms of political rhetoric that are like the groundwater of American political life. Um, I think the historian Kim Phillips Fine has, has written about in particular the way that this affected the politics of the business community in the United States. Um, the idea that, that uh, you know, the social contract involved um, uh, serious and sustained incursions on uh, political ideologies that were tied to pre-war visions of anti-communism, xenophobia, uh, patriarchy, um, and that th those were somehow to a significant degree uh, er eradicated or removed from from US political life is is simply wrong. Um, and I think a lot of people assume that I don't think a lot of historians assume that I think most historians who study that period in US history, allow for the presence of those dynamics. But I think um, there's a there's a popular narrative that that likes to imagine that the social contract of the New Deal produced a kind of consensus politics uh, around a center, um, uh, but, but they don't really grapple with the ways in which uh, that politics was bounded by Cold War liberalism in particular, um, which had healthy doses of, of uh, misogyny and racism baked into it. Um, so when you look at the ways in which those, those social dynamics and those political dynamics play out over the course of the the 50s, 60s, and 70s, um, you begin to see uh, uh, how a sort of ideological landscape of the Gilded Age and the Progressive Era translates into um, many of the social problems that we, we have today. Now, on a much more basic level, uh, the kind of primacy in the legal structure of the United States of property rights over personal civil rights um, has continued almost unabated um, uh, in, in US life. And I think that you know, ultimately that serves as a, a, a very valuable um, redoubt of strength for property owners um, and business owners, and in particular, powerful business owners with enormous amounts of wealth to mobilize um, through politics. Um, and, and certainly, uh, you know, one thing that I hope we have an opportunity to talk about, um, or at least I'll just mention now, is the role of campaign finance in, in uh, you know, sort of the, the loose campaign finance laws in the United States and the role that that um, plays in, in effectively ceding democratic power in the United States to the wealthy. Um, and I think if you're looking for parallels between the first Gilded Age and the moment that we're in right now, um, the power and influence of money in politics um, is is something that is uh, uh, quite marked in both periods. The sort of idea that you put forward about that consensus liberal era as um, 
seeing a huge um, um, scaling back of social conflict is not accurate. Uh, the left across these different eras, if we're trying to understand historical patterns, was very active in contesting the corporate forces uh, mm-hmm. that are tied into systemic racism and you know systemic violence, gender-based violence, mm-hmm. violence against working people. And those social movements uh, continued to carry these struggles and that continues until today. Um, That's absolutely right. And I think it's, I'm so glad you, you mentioned that. It's a really important point to make that um, I think there's a kind of misconception that in the midst of the middle of the 20th century, that consensus created a kind of social quiescence um, when in fact, uh, you know, as among other people's work, my, my partner just finished her doctoral dissertation um, on uh, communist and socialist activism through the 20th century um, from the 30s, the popular front uh, uh, through the end of the century. Um, and one of the things that she shows is that the idea that somehow um, uh, anti-communism um, uh, fully suppressed or, uh, uh, you know, racism fully suppressed uh, uh, more radical visions of social transformation through the mid-century period is, is simply incorrect. And, and many, of the, many of the movements that are now celebrated um, by liberal commentators, by liberal consensus of our own day, the women's movement, the, civil, the sort of iconographic civil rights movement, um, these movements uh, had had roots and often um, were were led by uh, people who were steeped in uh, a, an earlier set of political visions of socialism, of communism. Um, and they, these were not sort of, uh, you know, Stalinist communist visions. They were, in many cases, uh, grassroots um, local visions that had arisen out of engagement with Marxist literature, um, and also the social conditions of, of people's daily lives. That was a conversation with David Hewson, uh, who is a writer and a professor who's based in Berlin. Uh, he's written a book called Progressive Inequality and has been looking recently at trying to formulate a collective understanding of this contemporary moment in regards to the pandemic and massive corporate profit growth uh, from companies like Amazon and has put forward the question, are we living in a new gilded age? Uh, You know, uh, sort of the era of the corporate baron pre-World War II. I think uh, David really presents that question in an interesting and meaningful way beyond rhetoric, also looking at what uh, that sort of type of historical analysis looks like from the vantage of social movements uh, who shaped and challenged state and corporate policy. Um, so thank you to David for being on the program uh, this week. I'm Stefan Christoph uh, in Montreal. Thanks for uh, listening to Free City Radio. We share two new podcasts uh, every week. This is the 72nd edition. Uh, please tell a friend to subscribe. Free City Radio also broadcasts every Wednesday at 11 a.m. on CKUT 90.3 FM, people-powered radio in Montreal, ckut.ca. And uh, we share a radio hour with the F-Files, so tune in if you're in Montreal or globally at ckut.ca. And I'm going to go out with a piece of music that I worked on uh, for the Anarchist Mountains Project with my brother Jordan. 
This is a release that we just put out on Alien Garage Records in Japan. This track is called Passage. I'll talk to you soon. Take care.